here's a cause that bothers that would bother me as a player is how they're treating the retired players in this lawsuit. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, they can throw money at that, right? They can deal with everything, but when it comes to talking about you have to die before you get paid, and that's ridiculous. Welcome to Ballers with Babies. I'm Mark Willard. Today we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick. What's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark? Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after-hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high-profile job, and how that high-profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realize. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. All right, Toy Cook, let's get him in here on Ballers with Babies. You probably know him for football. I don't know if you know this, Toy. I first knew you as a baseball guy. I watched you play at Stanford on that 1987 team. I grew up in the Bay, and uh, my family used to go to games. I saw you and Jack McDowell play together out there, man. Yeah, hey, Mark. Uh, it was uh, it was a fantastic time. Uh, Jack McDowell was on that team. Ruben Amaro, uh, Dave Esker, the current head coach, uh, Ed Sprague, Brian Johnson, a lot of really good players uh, on that team. Yeah, it was fun to watch for sure. And uh, you did some great things. And I know that, that you were kind of thinking, you were kind of thinking baseball uh, for, for, I mean, most of your childhood, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, contractually, I wish I would have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but, but uh, you know, I think I'm a football guy. But, but yeah, my whole life uh, I was a baseball, didn't play football until I was 15, my dad used to do the Houston Astros games when we lived in Houston. So I was, you know, seeing J.R. Richards and Cesar Sedano and Art Howe and Roger Metzger. And then he would do the Oilers training camp, and I would get to see Earl Campbell and Dan Pastorini and Kenny Burroughs. And so I always felt that kind of gave me access to, you know, a, the field. A lot of times as kids, you're not able to experience that. And so, you know, being around uh, – that and, and then coming out here and he was doing Dodger games. So I was like completely, you know, baseball, my, my high school teammate, Tori Lovello, the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, head coach. Uh, we went to high school together. So uh, I just felt like, you know, I could play baseball. I wanted to play baseball, but I got, you know, drafted by the Saints and the uh, Minnesota Twins, who at the time had Kirby Puckett. And I didn't think Kirby Puckett was going anywhere. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I decided to go uh, see what the Saints were about, because at least, you know, in football, you'll know in five weeks if you're on the team or not. Right, right. And I, I kind of felt like that would give me enough time to get to winter ball if I had to. Yeah, that's that's interesting. We'll get back to that in a second. I, I, I want to hear, though, uh, a little bit more about the Cook family. What are the names and the ages right now of your of your kids? Uh, Connor is 24, Carson is 22, and Caitlin, um, uh, who's in London, she's at she's a sophomore at NYU. Uh, she just turned 20. So the uh, boys turned actually they turned 25 and 23 this summer. 
Okay. And now, and, and so if the girl is the third, I got to ask, was that like, did you have a third child and, and you two were thinking, Hey, we, we got to, tr- we got to keep trying until we get a girl. Yes. And <laughs> I, and my wife, uh, willed it. Uh, there's, there's no question, uh, that, uh, and it's funny, my buddy, Brett Maxey, who's the defensive back coach for Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he's like, you're having three boys. <laughs> right. And I go, I don't think so. <laughs> no, this is what Christine, and Christine planned it. She wanted two boys and a little girl. <laughs> so it's really my wife. And the, the, the lady's intuition is amazing like that. I want, how did the discussion go, though? When you were thinking about having a third, was it like, hey, we got <laughs> to be ready. It, it, it got to be okay with it if it's another boy. Well, I mean, the, 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 just having three kids in the first place, which is a whole story with uh, Jim Mora, and our first, uh, that's a story for <laughs> we could talk about. But, uh, you know, when you're sitting there, we, we'd already, you know, we're not one of those groups or parents that, you know, well, we just want to be surprised, right? That No. We, you know, when the baby's inside the stomach, what are you going to say? It? <laughs> Who? What? You know, we already had names. <laughs> we, you know, I mean, my wife is a planner. She's a, I said I'm married to Martha Stewart. Right. <laughs> so there was just, <laughs> we're having a girl. Okay. What, what time are we meeting? Right. <laughs> Actually, I do want to hear this story. You, you just met Jim Mora, your, your coach with the Saints. What, how, how did uh, that factor this in? This is unbelievable. So we're trying to get pregnant uh, the first time. And I remember just before our wedding, I said, you know, just so we can get on, you know, get having the kids early and be young parents. Cause at the time I think we were like 26, right. Which yep. is kind of late now. And I was like, you know, we should get pregnant now. She goes, I am not going to be pregnant in my wedding dress. I go, no one's going to think it's a shotgun. <laughs> if you're pregnant, Right. And she's like, no, it's not happening. I go, I'm just trying to tell you when you're trying to get pregnant, you don't get pregnant. When you're not trying to get pregnant, you get pregnant. That's what I'm just trying to tell you. Right. And, and sure enough, we tried to get pregnant, and it went a whole year. Now, the whole year of trying was great, but the, the success was not. So we, we had to go see a, a fertility doctor. Uh, and uh, back in the day, my wife thought that, you know, that might every once in a while, like President Clinton, I partook. And she thought that smoking uh, weed would uh, affect having a kid. And I go, it didn't seem to affect all the people in Jamaica. Right. Right. (laughs) They seem to be doing okay. Right. Right. (laughs) So then it was stay out of the sauna and the jacuzzi. And we went to a fertility doctor in New Orleans, and we come to find out that while uh, the – uh, amount of sperm and volume was fine. They were all swimming in circles. Okay. Right? Uh, so they had a hook in their tail. Uh, and so we had to go in and, um, you know, they put some saline or whatever, and it straightened out the hook. And they're very, that's why I always tease my oldest son. I go, you're very, very fast because about all those sperms, you won the race, the <laughs> ultimate race, the race for life. <laughs> and, uh, the very first time, the very first time they, they did it and they, you know, injected her and she got pregnant. And 
I had to leave practice. This is the Jim Mora part. Yeah. I had to leave practice uh, because um, for them to get a sample, we had to go down to the fertility where you have a choice where you can either watch videos or have uh, a nice dinner with your wife in the office, which is kind of like a movie. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I said, yeah. I'm going to go with the wife. And Christine said, hey, I'm ovulating. And I told Jim, and Jim said, you can leave and mispractice. And I think it was like a Wednesday. You know, uh, I don't know the date, but he let me leave practice to go partake, partake, and it worked the very first time. So our oldest son is courtesy of Jim Mora, because in the weird thing, the next year uh, he had a problem with Craig um, Hayward doing the same thing, and he wouldn't let Craig do it. And that was a big hugabaloo. Huh. Now, why, right? why, why, why would he let you and not Craig? Uh, probably. I have no idea. Maybe he felt I was more responsible than Craig at the time. Rest in peace. Yes. But that kid ended up being Cameron Hayward. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was right. Cameron Hayward. No way. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Oh, by, and by, Gina, yeah. Gino Atkins was, uh, came around that time, too. I mean, and, and back then, you know, I feel like the world is probably a little more open to this kind of thing now. The idea that Jim Mora back then would let someone mispractice to go uh, deal with family stuff, that was probably pretty unique, wasn't it? It was, it was, uh, I mean, looking back on it now, yes, probably back then. Right. But, you know, uh, you know, Jim, I think, has three kids and, you know, was a family guy despite being a coach, and uh, I don't know. I, I explained it in a way <laughs> that he <laughs> felt comfortable enough to allow me to do it. Unbelievable! But, but I also, with Jim, my rookie season, you'll love this. Um, I it was, you know, you're coming down to the the last cuts, and so I was worried about, you know, am I going to make the team? Even though I I kind of felt like I was going to make the team. But that was not good enough for me. So I go up to Jim Moore like a week before the final cuts, and I said, Jim, you don't have to tell me. I completely understand if you don't. But I have an opportunity to get this apartment, and I have to make a commitment. But I don't want to make a commitment if I'm not going to be on the team. Right. And he's like, Toy, you can get the apartment. <laughs> so I knew a week before final cuts my rookie season Yo, you're, that I had made the team. Your coach had your back, man. He, well, it, the weird thing is he did, but he didn't because he was such an ass to me. I mean, <laughs> like he didn't, you know, I'm always talking, but he just didn't like anything about me. Uh, but we, but he made me better. Um, I didn't want to tackle, but if I didn't tackle, I had to listen to him. <laughs> right. And so it forced me to tackle. Right. Uh, and everything to him, I, I looked out. I had him. Dom Capers was my first defensive back coach. Jim Mora, junior, even though he's not a junior, was my second defensive back coach. Uh, Big Fangio was our outside linebacker coach. Steve Sidwell. And when I say these names to, like, Bill Belichick, right, I, it's like I'm, I've walked into the Masters when I say who my coaching staff was. Yep. You know? yep. Big Fangio, John Pease, you know, Joe Marciano was our special teams coach who still, you know, it was like I lucked out. I mean, I had really good, smart coaches, and Jim uh, 
was the head, and he was so hard. It just made me a better player, and it's the reason I lasted 11 years. By the way, and you mentioned Dom Capers in there who, you know, you ended up at Carolina at the end of your career. George Seifert, when you were with the 49ers, of all these coaches, if you were going to leave your kids with one of them for, for a day, which one would you pick? Man, that is that is a great question, Mark Willard. <laughs> Man, I, I feel like I'm – I can't even well, – back in the day, I would have said that was a Matt Lauer kind of question. <laughs> but now, but in lieu um, – wow, that is a good question. Um, of the of those coaches, I, I feel like I would leave them with – you know who I would leave them with? I'd leave them with Brett Maxey. Brett Maxey. Yes, Brett Maxey, because Brett Maxey has four kids, was a player, and is the coach. And, and and listen, trust me, I would leave him with all of them. I'd leave him with Vic. I'd leave him with Dom. You know, I'd leave him with George Katavalis, Tom Homo. Um, you know, I know this. With George Seifert, they're going to get a lot of interesting stories. <laughs> you know, with Dom Capers, they're going to be well organized. Right. You know, uh, with Jimmy, they're going to get feelings. You know, so, yeah, that I, I would be satisfied with all the coaches taking care of my kids. Continuing with Toy Cook on Ballers with Babies. Uh, you know, I want to ask you this, especially now as a dad. I know that in your in your history, and maybe still today, you can update us. You're part of the concussion lawsuit. Uh, and, and, you know, because you were also drafted in baseball, we talked about it a little bit. Do do you wish you had made a different decision? I, I, I actually do not, because I wouldn't trade my uh, – um, Horse Gump-like existence hmm. um, for anything, and I, you know, I, I think that I would have experienced the same thing in baseball. But look, I still get to walk around and say that you know I played with Dion and Jerry and against Joe and basically everyone that you see on TV. Yep. <laughs> you know, I played against, and I mean, I think that's pretty cool. And then even the guys that are playing baseball now, <clears throat> I still can throw out Jack McDowell and Ed Sprague and. Brian Johnson, and I mean, I went into the Hall of Fame at Stanford with A.J. Hinch, so I have that one. Uh, and at Stanford, I was we've only won two championships, so and I was on the first team. So I, I feel like, you know, when you say do you look back on it, I mean, it's fun too, but I really, really enjoyed my football uh, life. And, you know, the fact that you did do that for 11 years just professionally, but we know obviously there was a lot of football before that at Stanford and whatnot. Um, so this can be about concussions or really just any general aches, pains, and, and problems. Like how, how did that career end up affecting you today as just a husband, father, and person? I think uh, I definitely lost some brain cells. Huh. Uh, I call my wife Google. <laughs> she's also google maps um i mean i really and she gets mad at me and i always say uh, i i am part of the nfl concussion lawsuit yep i do i mean it's a struggle to you know focus uh all the time um but you know i wouldn't trade it my kids played i i didn't think that it was you know when they were talking about uh, not having kids have contact, you know, until they're in high school. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it, it's it's all about coaching, right? I mean, you 
they think playing flag football is more dangerous than Pop Warner. Yeah. In flag football, they have no padding, right? So that's why in soccer, they have no padding. They have more head injuries in soccer than they do in Pop Warner. You know, so I would have allowed my kids, I know this is kind of on subject but off subject, but I, just to get ahead of it, I my kids played football. If I would have them play football again, uh, but I would also make sure that you know when we were playing, it was you know full in the ring. When you know in football, Jim Morris' first year, every practice, and and we were in Hamlin, Louisiana. Every practice was full pads. Yeah, full pads. And then they used to do a blitz pickup drill where they had Dalton Hilliard. And they would line up Ricky Jackson, who's in the Hall of Fame, and Pat Swilling, who was Defensive Player of the Year, uh, and Ronaldo Turnbull, who was also Defensive Player for the Year, line up at about a cone, about seven yards off the line of scrimmage, or from D- from Dalton, and they would say hike, and then they would just run in and just blast Dalton. And he's supposed to be protecting the quarterback, of, of which there was no quarterback there. And I would see that, and I'm like, and that's why I am not a running back. <laughs> <laughs> right? That is just the... I mean, it's like Oklahoma. It's just like stupid drills. Um, where where do things sit with the concussion lawsuit? Where do you feel it should go? How how should this story end, in your opinion? They should pay us. Services rendered. I mean, it's completely ridiculous that they talk about the uh, like the players and they're striking and not, you know, um, not standing for the anthem and they decided to form a coalition and then the NFL is like, Oh, we'll give money to the coalition. Cause you know, we want to support the causes that, you know, you know, bother you. Well, here's a cause that bothers that would bother me as a player is how they're treating the retired players in this lawsuit. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, they can throw money at that, right? They can deal with everything. But when it comes to talking about, you have to die before you get paid, and that's ridiculous, right? I mean, no disrespect, and I'm happy for Roger Goodell that he's making millions, right? I remember Roger before he was commissioner, right? And we help to build this game, and players are suffering now, and they cannot be paid, and they've set up a system for the lawyers to get paid, but not the players. I mean, it just... And it's not at the forefront. It's kind of like, here, I'll go to a political reference. Donald Trump, right? We're hearing about Stormy Daniels and the Russian oligarch making payments to his lawyer that goes into a consulting company that paid Stormy Daniels. But let's forget all that, and let's look at those three <laughs> Americans that we freed from North Korea, and let's disengaged from the Iran Contra. It's the same thing with the NFL. They, there's all kind of other problems that they'll talk about, but no one wants to talk about, you know, and of course I'll probably be penalized for this, uh, but no one wants to talk about our lawsuit, which you're going to try to tell me the, what the equipment that we had, the practices that we had, all the hitting that we did, playing on cement turf. There's proven facts. We've taken tests. I have the top neurologist. And they're going to withhold or make me wait, right? It's not like I played one year, not against those. I mean, you can play one or two. But I, I kind of feel like there should be some kind of scale that if you played multiple years, that this should not be a problem. 
especially when people are paying $5 million for a 30-second Super Bowl commercial. Mm. I mean, you're in your 50s now. That's kind of the decade, I feel like, when we start to hear a lot of the stories of the ex-players. I bet you have a lot of friends and, and stories of, of, I mean, probably some pretty ugly stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you see it in the paper all the time, right? You see it when, you know, people, if there's a, assaults, drunk driving, uh, whatever. We're not thinking like normal people, right? I mean, we don't think like normal people anyway. But I do think that there's a correlation between the stuff that you read and see and have heard and repeated hits to the head, right? And just when and people think about, you know, the repeated, we're talking about Mack trucks running into each other every day. And back then it used to be in practice. People would get laid out. That's what made Bill Walsh such a genius. He was the first one to understand how to practice without contact because he felt that that little half second that you got in boxing that was the difference between getting knocked out and, you know, knocking someone else out. What if you did that on multiple occasions on a Sunday? Right? Yeah. So he had people take off the pads halfway to practice on Wednesday. No pads on Thursday. No pads on Friday. And everyone else was full pads Wednesday, Thursday, and we were half pads on Friday, shorts and, and shoulder pads. Makes a whole lot of sense. One of the many things that made uh, Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh. And, and by the way, speaking of, you know, that Stanford and 49ers connection that you have, you have roots in a lot of places. You were born in Chicago, right? And you, you had mentioned yeah. time in Houston, uh, but at, at your heart, are you a Southern Californian? And, and the reason I ask is this, I know a lot of people in Southern California who ask this question. How do, how do you raise kids in L.A.? Uh, happily. Okay. <laughs> happily. I mean, look, I don't care where you go. It's the same problems, right? And if there's going to be problems, at least we're not dealing with snow, <laughs> right? We're not dealing – I mean, I, we are close to the valley, but we're not dealing with extreme heat, even though we are, some people would say, Right. When it all goes bad, you can go 15 minutes to the beach, right? We got the Lakers. We got the Clippers. We got the Dodgers. Now we have uh, Otani and the Angels, right? Right. We got the Ducks. We got the Kings. We got Hollywood. We got a bunch of great golf courses. We're 90 minutes from uh, Palm Springs or whatever. We're not far from Vegas, right? And... We don't, while we might have earthquakes and mudslides, it's still a great place to be, right? And, look, every city, you know, in my opinion, like New Orleans is fantastic. Charlotte is fantastic, right? But the same problems that you would have here, you're going to have there. This is my opinion. Yeah, no, I get it. And you know what? Maybe you're actually built – for LA and for even 2018 toy. Like I, I, I was reading about your life in college. You play both baseball and football. You also did it at Stanford, which is not a school that lets you just go play baseball and football. They expected you to go to class and get grades as well. If life for you was that hectic, say 30 years ago, you know, I, I, I wonder about now because just inherently the world is moving so much faster now. It, it, it is, and 
the funny thing is, and I tell people all the time, I did play two sports at Stanford, but not at the same time. <laughs> hmm. Right. And so while it seems like a daunting task, I mean, nowadays, I mean, if you're playing football, you're spending as much time as on football as I did on baseball because you're those guys are going through spring training, they're lifting, they're, you know, they're doing something. And, you know, that brings us to a point that we would have probably got to, which is playing multiple sports in high school versus playing just one sport. And I believe in playing multiple sports. That's probably why I wasn't injured, you know. And, and here's a story that I tell where my freshman year, we fired Paul Wiggins, the guy that brought me here, and we brought in Jack Elway. So you know, Mark, that when you have spring practice, that's the most important practice for a new coaching staff that's never seen you. Yeah. Everyone's trying to make their bones and show what they got and who are they. We played, we had one, our very first spring practice was the Monday, so I missed baseball practice. This is my freshman year. On Tuesdays, and, and you know, in college baseball, you play Tuesday and Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Tuesday, you play local teams, St. Mary's, uh, Santa Clara, whatever. So we play on a Tuesday, and Mark Marcus, who just retired, nine, after 40-something years, uh, says, Toy, I'm going to start you. I'm like, all right. So then I go 0 for 4. After the game, I go to Mark Marcus, and I go, nine, during football season, I am not leaving football practice to go, you know, shag fly balls. How can I be the best baseball player if I'm playing football? And he goes, Cookie, let me go talk to him. Next day he comes, he goes, Cookie, no more football. And I'm like, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. I'm not even thinking about what the ramifications would be. Right. I'm just thinking, like, I get to play baseball. <laughs> right? And then uh, we go to training camp, and they put up the depth chart, and they put me in front of a senior, Dwayne Hamilton. And it's Dr. Dwayne Hamilton now, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a, a senior corner. And I thought they just did it just to, like, you know, motivate him, but they never got me out. You know? And that was one of the few times that I was lucky, but it, it, it was, and, and that was my argument too to people, which is, how is it possible you guys can spend 100% of your time on a sport, and I only spend it 50% of the time, and I'm still better than you. And I'm beating you. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that, it's yeah. not like I'm a super athlete, but it, has to say, it says something. Uh, I do think you are a pretty good athlete, though. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, <laughs> by the way, how often, and I know they're grown now, how often did you did pull it out and show the kids the Super Bowl ring? Come on. Oh, they, they saw it. And they look, they get it every day. You know, like if, <laughs> if there's some picture or we're watching television, there's Dion or there's, you know, uh, Michael Irvin. You know, they, 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 they get it. And then if they're with me and there's, you know, they know. They're just used to, like, if – it's not a, like a lot of toy cooks running around. So if you're a sports fan and they say toy, like toy, like, like, how do you spell that? T O I toy cook up oh, like toy cook. the You know, and so they've heard that story <laughs> uh, and they've seen it. So they're kind of used to it. Um, you know, I have a radio show in San Diego. Now you realize that Super Bowl victory for you was like the biggest heartbreak ever in the history of that city. And, and even more now because the team is gone. I know, I know, I know. But but you know what? I would take that and turn that into a positive. The last time <laughs> that the Chargers were in the, in, the, in the Super Bowl was this team, right? And even though they were 18.5-point underdogs, uh, which we did cover that, by the way, <laughs> uh, which I love saying, um, you know, that that was a great team. And they did what was impossible. They First of all, they cost us the value of our Super Bowl tickets because – 
had they not beaten Pittsburgh Steelers, that Super Bowl, which at the time was the 75th anniversary year, would have been between the Steelers and the Niners. And both teams at the time had four Super Bowls. So it would have been like the race for five, which oh. we ended up winning. Right? But once they did that goal line stand, <laughs> that went all out the window. And it, and we had just beat them like on my birthday, December 3rd, in San Diego, in a game that they had to win, and we smoked them. You know, so it's like the value of our tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, so they've got that. Yeah, uh, they got that. Okay, all right. <laughs> so they got that. <laughs> hey, uh, what do you still want to do? Uh, I want to rule the world. <laughs> no, um, no I, you know, look, what I'd like to do, uh, NFL concussion lawsuit and effects aside, is do what, Magic Johnson and what Kobe Bryant are doing. And granted, uh, I didn't have their careers because they're the greatest of you know their era, whatever. But it doesn't mean that you have to be the greatest ever to do those deals. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think there's opportunity to do that and that's what I'm trying to do and I think there's other former players like me with the same kind of skill set the same kind of skill set as Magic and and Kobe from a mental standpoint now Magic's on a whole different level I will say that but still have the ability to to do Magic like things off the field and Kobe like things off the field and that's I think that that's a possibility, obviously, coming from Stanford and seeing all the stuff that's happening up there with the tech world. That's of interest to me. Uh, you know, it's just trying to get into position to kind of pull that stuff off. If all that right. makes sense. Absolutely. All right, home stretch with Toy Cook. Let's stick to sports uh, with a few of the relevant things going on today. Uh, Toy, talk to me about Garoppolo. Where, where do you think this is all going? Uh, I'm happy uh, for the kid. Uh, I've heard some people say that he shouldn't have got that contract, but the market dictates what the market dictates. Uh, I know that if he if, if he was coming out in the draft now, he would have probably been the first player taken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think the the sky's the limit, and <clears throat> more importantly is the fact that. Yes, they do have uh, a Stanford and a guy that should probably be in the Hall of Fame uh, as their general manager and another young coach, you know, kind of like the success they're having. Nothing against the old coaches. I'm an old coach, 53 <laughs> years old. <laughs> but I think that's a, a good combination uh, that the Niners have. And so you combine that with Garoppolo, who someone was saying, they told me some stat where he was like uh, – I forget what it was, but I was like, all I know is he won. Every game that he was in, like, what do you want? What do you want the guy to do? Yeah, he hasn't lost Go out yet. and intercept the ball, too? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> he, 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 <laughs> he did his job, and they won. So I, I think it's a great deal. And I think it's going to be interesting to see because we, we know that uh, I just think they're going to have success. And everything is lining up, you know, Seattle. Oh, and they, and they picked up Richard Sherman, right? Indeed, they did. Yeah, and yep. that's a, you know, the, the way we run one at the 49ers, uh, if you look at that roster, 
uh, me and Ricky Jackson from the Saints, uh, Kenny Norton from the Cowboys, uh, Charles Mann from the Redskins, uh, Richard Dent from the Bears. We took Gary Plummer from the Chargers. He was the only AFC player on defense. But we took all the best players from the other team. <laughs> so not only do we play the Bears uh, in the first round playoff, and we play the Saints twice. So you're getting information from me and Ricky Jackson on the Saints and how to beat them and what to do. I think that Richard Sherman is going to have that same effect. You know, when you were with the Niners, back end of that dynasty for sure, when you look at it, how does that group, that era stack up with the, the Patriots of today? Oh, well, that's easy. All right, easy. Just go look at our roster. It's the greatest, I think. You look at the rosters. It, it's the greatest. It, it was like an all-star. It was a bingo long traveling all-stars in motorcade. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Dion, Richard Dent, Charles Mann, uh, Tim Harris, Tim McDonald, Merton Hanks, me. And at the time, when I came, I, I was a starter. I was a five-year starter, so I'm your nickel, which means I would have to cover whoever you put in the slot nowadays. And I always argue that if I can run around and cover Jerry Rice and I can run around and cover uh, Andre Risen, which was really hard, um, I, I kind of feel like I would be successful. Oh, and I wasn't very physical, so I didn't need to get my hands on you. So I would say, oh, and, and now you don't have to tackle? Right. <laughs> I fit perfectly in, <laughs> in, this, in, in this environment. But, no, I think our team, Dion, I mean, the, the – Dion, Tim McDonald, yeah. Eric Davis, me, Merton. Oh, and I'm sorry, Dana Stubblefield's rushing. Ricky <laughs> Jackson's coming off the corner. So you're, and, I think what you're saying is you would have beat the Patriots. I will say this. It would be close. They got the better. <laughs> I love Doug Bryant, who's done very, very well. but uh, And had a great long career. But at the time, he was a rookie. So they got us on the kicker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Bryan had a great career and is like the king of real estate up in the Bay Area representing Cal Berkeley very well. Thank you. Is he really? Yes, he is. Oh, that's great. I love it. Um, hey, obviously, you know, I know that uh, when I see you now or pictures of you online or whatever, you're always wearing a Stanford cap. Like, I know that's at the, the heart of the heart of everything is still Stanford, which makes me think you might have an opinion or two on Jim Harbaugh. And, and he's starting to catch some heat at Michigan what do you think of him as a coach? I think he's fantastic. I just wish he would win more, and I wish he would win more big games because he's taken a lot of heat, as he should, <laughs> for the stances that he takes. But I just think he's a very, very smart coach. You know. Now, here's the problem. He's, he's so smart, but he can't get a quarterback at Michigan that doesn't throw interceptions. <laughs> right? And that's the, that's the dichotomy. That's the problem. Right? I mean – power football. I mean, he, he, he completely changed the way Stanford played, you know? And so, and he's smart. I mean, everywhere he's gone, he's won. So I just think that over time he's good. You know, he's going to win. The problem is, you know, there's only one Ohio state game, one Michigan state game, and you got to eat it, wear it for a year. But no one wears it better and uses his motivation as Jim Harbaugh, who, oh, by the way, was uh, drafted in my class in the first round. Ah, I forgot that. I, yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I, I always say that one. He was a first round pick in my class and played longer than I did.
and you were an eighth round pick, which doesn't even exist anymore. Doesn't even exist. So the good news is, I guess the Saints had a uh, thing, and I'm like the greatest eighth round draft pick <laughs> ever. So I'll take that one too. <laughs> hey, great stuff. Hey, Toy, thank you so much for doing this. This was an absolute blast. Really appreciate hey, Mark, it. Anytime. I, I I'm sorry for the long winded answers, but. No, but I appreciate. I mean, uh, I listen to you, and congratulations on your gig. I've heard your weekend gig. As you know, you get the text from me during the. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, what are you talking about, man? Yeah. No, it's usually not you. It's usually your co-host. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, it was great being on, and thank you for having me, brother. So thank you. 